Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. If you're interested in multifamily real estate, but don't know how or where to begin, our guide on how to start investing in multifamily real estate breaks down everything you need to know about identifying good investments plus real world examples. Download your copy in the show notes or visit lifebridgecapital.com forward slash start now to start your journey in multifamily real estate. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I am your host, Whitney Sewell. You know, we hear the term all the time in our industry, you know, value add, value add real estate or value add projects. And, you know, that term is thrown around a lot, but there's many different parts of a value add business plan that we need to know about, especially if you are a passive investor or if you're an operator, you need to think about, you know, is this a deep value add? Is this a light value add? How do we express that? How do we know what to do when we're talking about a value add type project? Well, I hope today you learn a lot from the highlights from these shows and these operators talking about value add projects. Have a blessed day. Thanks for being on the show, Sarah. Happy to be here. Thanks, Whitney. So why syndication and why not stick with flipping or small rentals? The scalability was what first got me interested in it, was being able to buy one property that has good cash flow, good appreciation potential, and go beyond my personal savings account. But then there's actually so many more benefits that I discovered along the way where I can hire these much more qualified and professional property managers, much more professional contractors. I have the benefit of only having one set of books that I have to review every month as opposed to having 100 houses, for instance, where you're looking at so many financial statements and it's easy for things to slip through the cracks. So lots of manifest syndication that I've discovered. Tell us about your company right now and what your all's focus is. Sure. So my company, Regency Investment Group, we're focused on apartment buildings. So we look for apartment deals in Colorado along the Front Range, that being Denver, Fort Collins, Colorado Springs. And we're value adders. So we like properties that were built in the 70s, maybe the 80s. They're running well, they're occupied, but they can just be taken to the next level. So we like to go in, renovate the interiors, add some new modern looking signs, repaint the building. And by doing that, we're providing the residents a better place to live. And over time, we can raise the rents and increase the value of the property. Incredible. So what are some specific things in a property and a value-add property that your company is going to look for? I think the one everybody thinks about is the interior renovation. So something that's dated, you can spruce it up and people want to live there and are willing to pay a little more for a nicer place to live. But in apartments, there's so many other creative things that you can do that usually aren't thought about. So you can add things like carports and get a little bump. You can charge pet rent for people who have pets due to the higher you know, wear and tear they have on the property. And then you know, charge back utilities. In Denver, where I am, all the properties are already charging residents for their portion of utilities. But in some markets, they may, they may not be doing that. And that could add you know, fifty to 100000 in extra income for these properties without having to spend a dime, really. It's just the management responsibility to get that implemented. And... So those are some ideas on the income side, but on expenses, sometimes you'll see these properties that are just self-managed, 
by an owner that hasn't really paid a lot of attention to where the money is going. And you can bring in a new professional management company, cut expenses by 30%. And by doing that, you know, you increase the value by 30%. So there's all kinds of things you can do, get creative. And that's what makes this business so fun. Can you give us a brief overview of, say, the most recent deal you all syndicated? Sure. So that 100-unit deal we talked about, Aurora, Colorado, bought it about a little over a year ago now and kind of had everything we were looking for. We wish we could find a dozen more properties just like it. But it had you know some light value add. The interiors weren't updated yet. Had some old signs and an old office that we were able to spruce up. And then on the expense side, they actually were running it pretty well. So we were able to keep expenses low and just follow our business plan, renovating three or four units a month and burn off the last to lease as well. That property, another thing is, you know, which is really easy is if the markets are below rent, you can just raise them up to market rent and don't necessarily have to do the work. And the property we bought had some three and four bedroom units, which there are very rare in the submarket, but in very high demand. And so we were able to determine that those were about $250 below market at the time we purchased the property. So it was really easy to just go in and when leases expired, start bumping up those rents for the existing residents, as well as when people moved out, we could renovate them and rent them for even a higher market rate. Why wouldn't that seller do these things? Or why wouldn't they have raised the rent $200 instead of selling? I don't think they knew. There were no comps in the market. But my husband and I, we have some other smaller rentals in the nearby area, like less than a mile away that had three and four bedrooms and we were getting $1,700 a month in these smaller multifamily deals. So we knew that the $1,250 that was currently being charged was far below market and you know could, could raise them up quite a bit. Our guest is Andrew Cushman. Thanks for being on the show, Andrew. Glad to be here. How did you raise money for that deal? This is another lesson and that's vet your investors. So, you know, we had been doing single family flipping for, like I said, four or five years before that. And so we had some people that funded those. And when we went and did the apartment complex, you know, that, that was the first group we sat down with and said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we think it's a great opportunity, et cetera. And a lot of them were like, hey, we're in. And two of them each said they were going to be in for 400000 a piece right off the bat. And they're like, wow, this is awesome. We only have to raise $400,000, which we can do that easily. And we could. But the problem was, is shortly before closing, we found out that one of those guys, we hadn't asked all the right questions and it turned out he wanted to be a controlling partner, not just an investor. And we, that wasn't what we were intending to do. The other guy never actually had the money and he filed bankruptcy a few years later. And so all of a sudden we we're close to closing and we were $800,000 short. So we just word of mouth, just reached out to absolutely everybody we could think of, everyone that we knew we asked them, say, hey, who do you know that might be interested? And so we got first group of people that we knew, and then the second level connection, third level. I mean, we, you know, six, what is it that that book? I mean, we probably got pretty close to the six degrees of getting to Kevin Bacon, right? I mean, we were like reaching out every relationship to relationship to relationship, but we got there. Nice. So you were persistent. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, that's the only reason I'm still here. I'm not necessarily that, at least in the beginning, but you know, I'm not necessarily naturally good at any of this. Like when we were doing single family, we started out trying to buy pre foreclosures, which involved cold calling people who had notices of default. And it took me 4,576 phone calls to get our first deal. But it didn't take anywhere near that to get the second one, the third one, the fourth one, and the fifth one. And so similar to that. 
Nice. So what about managing this property from so far away? What did that look like? I definitely would not recommend trying to self-manage from that far away. We brought in a third-party property management company that had a good amount of experience with that type of property and just closely worked with them. And that basically what that makes you as a sponsor or syndicator in that situation is you become an asset manager. So they're doing you know property management and then you become the asset manager and you're managing the managers. And that can be the actual property manager. And in this case, it was it had a lot of work that needs to be done. You're managing rehab coordinators and managers. So with the property being mostly vacant, tell us about some issues that would bring up with it being vacant. There's quite a few. That property had been neglected for about 15 years. And anytime you buy something that's in that state, one of the things we learned is dramatically increase your renovation budget beyond what you actually think it's going to be. Because it's like a rotten onion. Every time you pull off a layer, you're like, oh, geez, what's underneath this? I mean, things just keep adding up and adding up. The other thing you get when you buy something that's completely vacant like that is typically you don't find highly vacant buildings in really good areas. If you do, that might be a great opportunity. But this one wasn't. It was in a tougher economic area and vandalism becomes a problem because you have all these vacant units. And so there's one time where we had over $50,000 worth of damage because someone went in and ripped like $300 worth of copper piping out of all the walls without even bothering to turn off the water and, you know, destroyed the walls, the flooring, the units, and that ended up about $50,000 worth of damage. So, you know, high vacancy definitely can cause issues. And then also you get a certain type of tenant, right? I mean, not many people want to move in. Even if you fixed it up nice, not too many people want to move into a place that's mostly vacant. They assume something is wrong or, you know, in that case, they would have, you know, they would have been right because it was very poorly managed before we had gotten there. What about the type of debt that you had on that property with it being mostly vacant? We didn't have any. We just basically raised all the cash. And then also what we did is during due diligence, we started seeing, wow, this thing does need a lot of work. So we went back to the seller and said, hey, this needs a little bit more work than we thought. We're not going to retrade on the price, but we want you to carry a note for us. And they agreed to carry a portion of it. And I think it was like after two years or something like that, we refinanced with actual bank debt because by that time we had it nicely stabilized. And we just left the bank loan on there until we sold it. Nice. So what was the key? in buying this property and selling it for many more times than what you paid for it? Well, one, persistence. Two, there's a tremendous amount of value add there. And we also bought it in a distressed part of the market. That was back in 2011. And you know, managing the renovation so you don't go over budget, which is really critical on something that needs that much heavy lifting. And then providing good service to the residents and then partnering with the community. When we first walked into the police chief and said what we we're going to do, he literally looked at us and said, yeah, right, good luck. And six months later, he had a different attitude and they were really happy to work with us. We had city council members that we were talking to and you know, we're trying to get city funds to clean, you know, help with the neighborhood and all that. And so we partnered with the city. We actually won an award for the Georgia Apartment Association. They called it the Star Award, the most improved property in 2013 or 12 or something like that. So we try to bring the community in and then really just emphasize that, hey, you know, this is a clean, safe, quiet place to live. And we made sure it was. And that's what made the difference. So, yeah, by the time we sold it, it was still a lower income area, but the revenue was like five times what it was when we, when we took it over. Wow. So what gave you the confidence that you could make this deal happen with all these things that were against you? I wouldn't hear most people that are doing their first syndication, find a property that's all the way across the country, that's mostly vacant, that you're having to raise capital for all of it. 
all these things. What gave you that confidence and said, okay, I'm going to do this? Well, like I said, it helps to be a bit naive, but <laughs> no, you know, a handful of things. Number one, I had hired a coach. If it was just my wife and my wife is my business partner, if it was just us, start, you know, reading a couple of books, no way. We had a coach. That was huge. The other thing is we realized that we didn't have to know it all or do it all if we brought in the right people to help us, right? So the right management company, the right GCs, the right rehab coordinators, if we worked with people, again, in the city that they could give us knowledge of what the issues were and what needed to be fixed. So it was really about commitment to learning as we go, having a coach, partnering with people who knew what they were doing. And then again, just getting back to that sheer persistence, knowing that there was going to be gaps in our knowledge, but that we would learn it and figure it out when we got there. Nice. So let's fast forward to the most recent deal that you sold. Tell us a little about it and kind of build us a little story so we can learn more about it. Yeah, that was one we actually bought in 2014. A broker brought it to us and the uh, 122 units seller wanted was asking like three two and they had an offer at two eight it fell out they got another offer you know we offered 2.4 another buyer came in at two eight that fell out finally they came to us and said look if you can just close we'll give it to you for two four so i said great deal done and so we bought that it was stable but it needed to be repositioned they had basically kind of just filled the property with people who could warm the room but that's about it so we needed to change over the tenant base Put about a million dollars into renovating it, just correcting deferred maintenance, but also upgrading the units. So we bought it for two four, put about a million into it. So our total basis was about three four three five, and then we actually just sold it earlier this year for a little over seven one, which, needless to say, was a good home run for us and the investors. And yeah, it ended up being a great deal. So wow, so there's got to be a few details we didn't hear about, right? <laughs> <laughs> so break that down a little bit. Help us to find a deal like that. What was it about that deal that said, okay, we need to pursue this one? Candidly, until the market shifts, I wouldn't tell anyone to expect to find a deal that they can buy for two, four and go ahead and sell for seven sure. a couple of years later. That's just not likely to happen. But how to find a deal like that? I mean, no, with that say, it's not impossible. We bought one, actually, we bought two years ago that this year appraised for more than double. So, you know, it still is possible, but you're going to be looking at instead of 50 deals, you might be looking at 100, 200, 300 to find something like that. We do B-class value add, which fortunately has gotten really popular these days. But the key is to not only just to find a good deal, but you really have to make a good deal. You have to figure out, okay, I mean, because the odds of you buying something 20% below market or whatever is exceedingly low. So you're probably going to need to find something at market, but figure out, okay, well, if I spend $8,000 a unit doing these upgrades, I can bump the rent to you know $130 or whatever. And by bringing in professional management, I can improve the property's reputation. I can rebrand it. I can improve service to the residents. I can decrease economic vacancy. You can do all these things to increase the net operating income and then force the appreciation of the increase in value. And of course, it helps to buy in the right markets. And by right markets, I mean markets where the median income easily supports the rents that you want to get to, your higher rents, meaning there's plenty of people in the area who can pay them. And then also markets where people are moving in, jobs are moving in, and ideally that those jobs are jobs that are recession resistant. You know, right now the economy's has been good for a long time. It still looks good, but at some point it will hit a soft patch of some kind. And you want to make sure that you can ride that out without any problems. 
what would be a recession-proof job or resistant job, like you said? Medical. Medical is a big one. So we like properties or towns that are supported by large medical centers, especially with an aging population. They are not going to go away. Another one is large universities. Now, we don't do student housing. We try to be in areas, and nothing wrong with student housing at all. It's just not our niche. But what we like is economies that have a lot of higher education, big universities, because they actually tend to do well in a recession, right? People lose jobs a lot of times. Well, I'm going to go back to school. And so they tend to be significantly stabilizing factors. Another one is military. Again, completely independent of the recession. Now, there's other factors that go with military, but it's not dependent on what the economy is doing. So like, for example, we recently purchased property in a town where the top three economic drivers are medical, military, and a significant state university. And so we like that area because whenever recession comes, those three economic drivers aren't going to really change. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 